From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Internal Revenue Service needs a uniform definition of what a legacy system is as part of its IT modernization plan, according to the agency's Inspector General. The Office of the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration says the IRS doesn't collect enough data about some systems. NextGov reports the agency's planning on six years and $2.5 billion for just one piece of the modernization plan. Citizenship and Immigration Services has enough money to prevent furloughs next week, according to Democratic leaders on the House Homeland Security Committee. A letter from Chairman Benny Thompson and Border Security, Facilitation and Operations Subcommittee Chairwoman Kathleen Rice says the carryover money the agency has on hand is enough to pay the workers. CIS says it's going to furlough. Federal News Network reports Virginia Senators Tim Kaine and Mark Warner made the same case recently. Russia and China haven't shown up yet for this year's Rim of the Pacific exercise. The director of RIMPAC, Navy Captain Jay Steingold, says neither the U.S. Navy nor the nine participating partners in the exercise have detected ships from either country in the first week of the exercise. USNI News reports both nations have sent ships to the area in the last several RIMPACs. About 87% of participants in the Thrift Savings Plan are satisfied with the plan. Participants say better instructions and tutorials would be helpful for planning retirement strategies. Kim Weaver is Director of External Affairs, the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. Kim, I teased you before we went on the air that I'm happy that the headline to this is not satisfaction down 2% because you had 89% last year and 87% this year. What does the board do with these numbers and with the sub-numbers that you see when you drill down further when you go through this satisfaction survey every year? We use it to inform our, our work. Uh, one of the surveys we did several years ago told us very clearly that our participants wanted additional withdrawals options. And we went forward, we got the legislation, and we implemented it. Um, one of the big uh, takeaways from this uh, survey is that the younger members, particularly in BRS, the uniformed service members, want a mobile app. Um, that's not something that we're going to be able to provide instantly, but it is something that we're going to be able to provide. So we take the information here and we translate it into what can we do to do things better for the TSP participants. And I guess the benefit that you have with the structure and kind of the mission of the TSP in the first place is that you have uh, private sector options, apps that other investment organizations provide to be able to use at least as a model to help you narrow that curve. Is that a fair observation, Kim? Yes, it is. And and in fact, we I think we've talked before, we're in the midst um, of a record-keeping procurement uh, and Currently, the board is sort of the integrator of the record keeper, our call centers, our um, service bureau, and we put out a procurement that, that the contractor would integrate all that. We would sort of step back and manage the, the contractor. And in that, as a result of that procurement, uh, we will get an app that is very similar to the private sector apps that you're referring to. 
Is there is there any significance that you read into an 89 to 87% number? I think just about every organization in the world would be very happy with an 87% approval rate, no matter what the trend is. But is there yeah. anything that you look at as a result of that? Not particularly. Um, one of the things that you may have noticed or, uh, is that we started um, uh, the survey in mid-March. Mid-March <laughs> coincided yeah. with shutdown, the, the market tanking. And we have found over the years that there's a real strong correlation between our participant satisfaction and the state of the market, which is completely understandable. Um, and so the fact that it only dropped 2%, quite frankly, from my perspective, is, is great. Um, one of the other things that we do look at is there's a, a score called the net promoter score. Um, and what it, what it measures is are our participants willing to recommend the TSP to others? Um, and the fact any number that's positive is good. Any number that's over 30 is very good, and we're at 38. Um, you know, stellar, it, you, to be absolutely really, really awesome, you're over 50. So we're, you know, we want to be at 50. We want to be above 50. But the fact that in this circumstance we were at a net promoter of 38, it, we're very pleased with. Yeah, I think that's that timing is interesting, uh, Kim, because if I remember right, the market bottom was March 26th. And so if you're asking people as the market's headed south, are you happy with your TSP plan? That dissatisfaction doesn't necessarily reflect on you if that question is worded that broadly. Um, one of the things that people did say is they would like more resources to understand options and all of that. Um, you got a briefing from the Office of Communications and Education at, at this uh, board meeting this week. What's the takeaway from that? We redesigned our website, uh, unveiled it in mid-July. And it's the first time we've redesigned the website in 10 years, so it was certainly overdue. Uh, and, and this time we went into it to, to answer the question, how do I? Um, and we did the work in-house with the help from GSA's 18F. And we also did it with um, focus groups from our participants. So we would design a page, we would um, have them look at it, see if it answers their questions, if it was worded in a way they could understand. If not, we would go back and we would continue to iterate um, the website redesign. And we really think that that's going to make it a much better situation um, because we can um, make changes as we need to, to um, respond to any desires that people have. Um, one of the things that we're very proud of is on every page of that website, there's a feedback tab. So if you're on that page and you have a problem on that page, you can comment and it helps us because we know exactly where you were when you made that comment. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the slides that were presented. Uh, I was not able to be on the uh, on the meeting as a, a press participant, but my favorite slide in the whole presentation from OCE was the one from the back of the van. I guess the implication there is that you can get information about your TSP literally anywhere that you are, right? That was one of our trainers. We have a team of trainers, and they do um, webinars. They go out pre-COVID. They would go out and and do um, you know groups of train training to groups, 
uh, and we have pivoted and we're now doing webinars. We have done, we've reached more participants this year via webinar than we did all of last year in 2019. And that particular trainer, the, the van picture you're referencing, he has a one-year-old and a three-year-old in the house. And so he needed a quiet space. And so he set up the back of his van. He put his laptop on top of diaper uh, boxes and um, he got things done. That is dedication. Kim Weaver, thanks very much as always. Thank you. Up next, shooting for the STARS 3 contract. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the coming deadline and why this contract is different than the last one. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. contractors have until tomorrow to bid on the next round of the Streamline Technology Acquisition Resource for Services Multiple Awards contract. The STARS 3 deal will have a $50 billion ceiling. That's twice as high as the last iteration of the contract. Joe Jordan is CEO at Octoparo, former administrator of federal procurement policy. Joe, it's good to see you. What are you watching as the, the uh, bids close on STARS 3 and GSA starts to go through them? Yeah, I think, you know, there are a lot of things to watch, Francis. Uh, first of all is, you know, how are they going to uh, maintain the great success of, of STARS 2, the, the prior or currently existing vehicle, as well as fix some of the issues around uh, on-ramping and off-ramping. Um, you know, they did bump up the ceiling quite a bit. STARS 3 has uh, more than 2x the even updated ceiling of STARS 2. Uh, and also how they're going to plan for adoption of, of new technologies, you know, because that's what, what STARS is supposed to provide agencies, a, a streamlined way to access these technologies and services, uh, and also to adopt new procurement practices as those come up over the next, you know, five to 10 years. Uh, you know, those are really the things that, that we'll wanna look at between now and, and then the award date for this vehicle. Do we have an example of where the on-ramping and off-ramping is working in another vehicle, Joe? I don't, and that's the thing. You know, that's one. Of, that's why. I mean, so GSA kind of came out earlier this this year and said, "Look, we're raising the ceiling for Stars Two from 15 billion to 22 billion uh, because you know it was running out of room and, and nobody knew what to do." And at the time, a lot of people said, well, look, GSA is taking a lot of credit for solving a problem it created. It could have acted much sooner and not created so much consternation in the community. But I'm a little bit more sympathetic because, to your point, the, the key is figuring out how to transition uh, new companies, new qualified 8A companies onto a vehicle like this, and then folks who have graduated after you know an appropriate time off of one. You know, one of the things people don't often think about with STARS 2 right now is 73% of the businesses, the 787 small businesses on STARS 2 are no longer qualified. They're not, they've graduated from the 8A program. So, you know, this, no, I can't point to a place where this has uh, been solved in the past. And so therefore they're gonna have to build some flexibilities into the methodology for this vehicle so that they can, you know, solve it or address it moving forward. And I don't mean to imply by the question that there should be a good example of this. Maybe that implies what the, your answer implies that there isn't an answer and, and that this isn't easy 
and that it isn't something that necessarily will be addressed in Stars 3 or in any other contract vehicle, Joe, because of the churn, directly because of the churn that you're talking about. I think that's right. And, you know, again, I am, uh, you know, someone who wants to encourage innovation and risk taking in our procurement practices. And therefore, you know, if GSA tries something new with STARS 3 and the methodology and ways to address this, um, and it isn't perfect or it doesn't work out, I'm not going to be beating them up. I'm going to be applauding them for, for not doing the same thing. If they do the same thing, that's, hey, you know, we've got, they've talked about room for more vendors on this one. So great, you've got 1,088 companies on this vehicle, but five years from now, no new companies who have come and, you know, brought new technologies and services to the marketplace have been allowed on. And all, you know, all the folks who have, you know, really grown far beyond the size standard or qualifications of the program are still in there. Well, then I'll, I'll be a little bit disappointed, but they've got, you know, great teams managing these government-wide acquisition vehicles and um, you know I'm confident that that they're gonna they're gonna show some cool innovation in this one uh, what does a quick turnaround look like in your view on this Laura Stanton says that's what she wants uh, on these awards what what does that look like in your view Joe so I'm hesitant to say that for fear of uh, the audience all throwing tomatoes at their screen but you know it's it's August 24th you know tomorrow the due date the 26th Stars 2 uh, ends almost exactly a year from today. If they can get it awarded up and running through the protest processes and anything like that by next end of next August, I'll consider that rapid and a success. I'm on the show every night, Joe, so there's plenty of tomatoes thrown at the screen already. <laughs> Don't worry about that at all. Um, what will you pay attention to once the awards are done as far as the companies being able to maximize their, uh, their participation in this program? Well, obviously, IT procurement and specifically the procurement of IT services is a huge uh, area of federal contracting. And all agencies engage in this, of course. Um, and there are many vehicles that, that offer similar goods and services. And so what I'll look for is, you know, are agencies voting with their feet? Are they using this vehicle to uh, get the services, the technologies that they need? Um, and if not, why not? Where are they going? Is it, you know, soup or chess or other places? Uh, and if they are, and if they're kind of, you know, having the success that would be indicated by a predicted $50 billion ceiling, then, you know, I'll, I'll view that largely as a success. Joe Jordan, thanks very much as always. Great to see you. Thanks, Francis. Up next, taking classified work to the home office. Straight ahead on Government Matters, inside the Pentagon's push for more work from home options. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. Be right back. About a million employees at the Pentagon have remote work capabilities, but the Defense Department will open up virtual options for employees working on classified projects, too. Chief Information Officer Dana Deasy says the virtual remote environment should be able to host the most sensitive unclassified data by the end of the year. Larry Allen is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. Larry, welcome. It's good to see you again. What's this look like? Who's doing what to get the, Air For to get the uh, military up to speed? Francis, the military has many different projects in place right now. 
uh, for both unclassified workers and classified workers increasingly. Uh, in your intro, you referred to plans that Dana DC, the CIO, has. Uh, DOD already has about a million non-classified telework uh, people going, doing their job remotely, which is really amazing. And they're hoping to add significantly to the classified workforce as well, which kind of caught me as something that was interesting. Uh, traditionally, as you may know, classified work is something that's been done in a specially created, physically separated environment. And now the Department of Defense, Air Force, and DISA in particular are looking at pilots that would allow even classified workers to work remotely setting up those physical barriers, not virtually, but using software. I confess when we, when I saw this is what we we're going to talk about, Larry, it struck me as interesting because I think of you, you have always been one of my go-to people on acquisition, not so much on technology. Why is this significant to you, Larry? Francis, this is significant because it really talks about two things. One is it talks about the workforce. And anytime you're talking about the workforce, that affects how acquisition people do their position. But the most significant thing to me is this is just one more step that shows that we cannot, whether you're DOD, the commercial sector, or whatever, just put everything on hold while we're dealing with COVID-19. There's been so much of a predisposition for people to try to outlast the pandemic. And we can't outlast the pandemic. We need to find new ways to get work done. We just can't say, oh, this classified work can wait. Or even we can do that classified work at 50% of what our usual capacity is. You can't do that and still maintain national security. So in this specific case, we're talking about people who have come to the realization that you can't outlast the pandemic, that you have to find new ways to uh, address, in this case, your workflow. Uh, I think this is going to be something that we see in every segment moving forward, particularly in government. It's uh, something that uh, people are going to have to uh, be creative, work around, develop new paths to get their missions accomplished. This is going to result, isn't it, Larry, in completely different ways of doing business with the government. It's not going to ever look the same way that it looked in February again, is it? It's not. Uh, we're going to be many months still, Francis, before we have face-to-face -face industry government meetings. You know, we're just talking right now about whether we can get or need to have federal employees back in their physical locations? If so, how many? If so, how many days per week? But we aren't even talking about opening up federal facilities to having in-person meetings with industry. So this is really going to change how things get done. It's going to change how work happens, not just at the end of our current fiscal year, where a lot of things will happen because there's use it or lose it money, but it will have, uh, impact the business development process for FY21 as well. Uh, people are going to have to understand what Zoom is, what are the limitations on uh, remote uh, access capabilities. How do you develop that personal relationship that's so important to getting business done? You know, you're, whether are you going to be able to talk for five or 10 minutes 
before or after your uh, scheduled conference call about the human connections that really are important. Like, you know, how did the baseball team do? Or, you know, you know what's going on uh, on your last vacation? You know, these are the types of small talk that people don't realize really help make the connection. And that's something that really risks being lost unless we're careful. It's one of the challenges that uh, event promoters are discussing too, is how do you, how do you, re you can recreate the event, you can recreate the fora, you can recreate the panels, you can't recreate the hallway chatter that really greases the skids, not for deals getting done necessarily, but for building relationships, whether it's industry, government, 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 industry, industry, or whatever. Um, listen, I, it, to pursuant to the topic that we started talking about, what's the implication for doing business with the government when right now you can't conduct those uh, meetings on classified matters over uh, ways like we're using right now? Well, if you're industry, I think you, um, and work in the intelligence field, the classified field, you want to follow these uh, pilot programs in the Air Force and DISA very carefully. And that's one of the reasons I'm writing about them. Because if the military people, the people in government are going to be able to work in a classified manner remotely, so too may contractors. You're going to have to build in extra secure systems, so-called level six, in terms of being the, the highest level of security in order to do that. But uh, if you're a contractor, you want to know that this is something that your customer is doing. You should be able to develop some capabilities to do it too, so that you're able to deliver the mission support, whether it's in person or wherever. Larry Allen, thanks as always. Great to see you. Francis, thank you. If you've missed the show or you're on the go, you can stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Government Matters is available now as an audio podcast. You get it every day on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. Or just ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters podcast. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 1030 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.